Hello and welcome to Seafood Matters Podcast, the voice of the UK seafood industry. I'm your host, Jim Cowie. Alistair Blair from the Fish Society, welcome to Seafood Matters Podcast. Uh, how would you describe where you've come from to this project and your history? Uh, well, it's been quite a long route, uh, Jim. Um, I am 68 next month, uh, and I started selling fish uh, when I was uh, 22. Uh, and I've been thinking about fish for, for most most of that time, uh, not with great commercial success, I must say. So I've dipped in and out of uh, fish over the years, and I combine that with uh, uh, a career in the city where I was... Um, I worked in corporate finance for a merchant bank, as they used to be known before they were uh, called investment banks. Uh, and uh, then I uh, then I was working as a journalist for quite a while uh, in the in the 90s and the noughties. Uh, but I hung up my pen in 2012, I think it was, uh, and uh, I've been working for the Fish Society pretty much exclusively uh, since then. Um, the Fish Society um, came about as uh, in the in the early nineties when I decided that uh, I'd like to have my own business, as I had had many years before, uh, and to uh, uh, to be working for myself. And um, I came up with this concept of uh, seafood direct to the consumer, uh, based significantly on the fact that there was not uh, there was not a great choice of fish in supermarkets. Uh, for instance, I like turbot and Dover sole, who doesn't? Uh, and it was quite difficult to get hold of those uh, anywhere, in fact, in, in those times. So um, I wanted a business that had high quality fish direct to the consumer. We started at mail order uh, well before the internet arrived. Uh, and then we moved on to the internet uh, pretty early on. I remember our first website was quite exciting uh, in, uh, in in the year 2000. And uh, we've come along since then. Uh, we've had our ups and downs. But here we are now. I think we are the UK's biggest uh, online fishmonger, uh, biggest online specialist fishmonger. I'm sure Tesco probably sells more fish online than we do. Uh, but... Uh, but for specialist fishmongers, uh, we're the one, I can assure you. How's that? I think that really says a lot. And uh, you wouldn't need, to, I would say, between the fish in industry and the, your finance background, you wouldn't need to look for kicks. You wouldn't need to worry about looking for a roller coaster. I think you've probably been on, on one most of your life. Uh, indeed, yeah. Well, we've had uh, we've had to we've we've raised um, the fish society has raised five uh, lots of issued shares to shareholders five times. Uh, so we've got about ninety shareholders, uh, and uh, you know each one of those share issues. Uh, has been, uh, you know, quite quite an event uh, with its own huge ups and downs. Nothing like the up of putting half a million pounds in the bank, uh, I can assure you. Um, and um, and you know, I'm trying to trying to put that to work in in the, in the subsequent months and years. 
so my so my my history in the uh, my, my experience in uh, in in finance in corporate finance uh, has obviously been pretty helpful. Uh, we didn't pay any fees at all in raising the the money. We've raised about one and a half million pounds. Uh, in fact, in fact, including bonds, about over two million pounds from outside um, investors, um, without ever paying a fee to anyone. So uh, that's been pretty fortunate for everybody. That's pretty impressive, I would say. It's a wonder RBS or the likes haven't managed to put a spoke in that wheel. <laughs> well, well, here, here we are. Yeah, indeed, indeed. If I could ask you, Alistair, how how it's, a, it's just a wonderful concept, the Fish Society. How did you come out? Did was that your own did your own sort of ambition and idea? Uh, yes, it is. It is, Jim. So I'll tell you how this came about. Um, so what I was doing at the age, tender age of 22 in Grimsby, uh, which, is, which is where I come from, of course, that's a big, uh, or it was, it, it still is a big fishing port. It was much, much bigger at the time. Um, and I was, uh, I was a port side fish merchant, uh, you know, buying fish in the auction and uh, sending it to uh, a number of wholesale and retail customers that I'd collected together on trips around the countryside and, and at the weekends. Um, and, uh, you know, selling fish to fish and chip shops or uh, 100 stones of cod fillet to Billingsgate Market, that kind of thing. Uh, I employed two people, might have employed four people at one point, uh, and it was a very, very tough business. And then one day, uh, as happened, someone wandered into my little um, fish house on, opposite the pontoon in Grimsby and said, uh, I'd, I'd like to buy some fish to take away from my friends. Uh, so I turned around and said, OK, well, do you want a couple of cod fillets or whatever? And she said, no, 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 I want, uh, I want 25 parcels of cod fillets. So I said, okay, well, uh, I can do that, but it's not going to be very convenient to do it today. And she said, can you, well, maybe you could deliver it to me as it's 25 parcels of cod fillets. So we went a bit further uh, and I gave her a price list of, it must have had 15 kinds of fish on it. Uh, and... Uh, I said, why don't you get your friends to choose from this? And I will, you know, I will deliver all their orders to you in two weeks time. So she said, yes, that's fine. And uh, this lady's called Mrs. Stainer, by the way. And she lived in Boston, Lincolnshire. And um, she came back to me a couple of weeks later with what must have been 700 or a thousand pounds worth of orders, which in 1979 was uh, was quite a quite a coup. So uh, I delivered that fish to her and thought, hmm, how how can I make some more of this? And uh, she introduced me to a few uh, friends of hers around the country who became agents selling my fish, and um, and uh, I ended up. Uh, having two businesses one was being the wholesaler to the to the to the fish shops and and the uh, and the inland wholesalers 
and the other was this tidy little business on the side, which was uh, selling fish through agents. And that selling fish through agents aspect of my business was uh, was the most successful, but it was very small. Uh, and eventually, uh, I was overwhelmed in the wholesale side of the business, and uh, I had to close down. Uh, I, I, I went bust, basically. Uh, although um, we paid our our, um, our creditors, uh, you know, quite a lot of money, uh, we didn't have enough to continue the business. Then I uh, went and did an MBA, uh, Manchester Business School, and I did uh, uh, I, I did ten years in the city after that, and then I got recycled out of the city, fell out with the boss, a very inopportune moment. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, I could probably get another job in the city. But in fact, I think I'd prefer to um, to work for myself again, as I said earlier. So uh, looking at casting around for what I could do for myself, I had, I had this still warm feeling about the direct-to-customer segment of business I had in my original company. And I set about reviving it. And that is that was in 1992, so that is 30 years ago, uh, and it's been through several, uh, you know, modifications and uh, crises and uh, redefinitions since then. But um, we are now, uh, you know, we got to where we are. We are the Fish Society, and we sell a wide range. So. I think you've probably been on our website. We must have a hundred or 150 species on there, uh, and something like 400 separate products. Uh, so you know, we got we got cod steak, cod fillets. I don't think we've got smoked cod at the moment. We've got battered cod. We've got cod fingers, uh, and and all these iterations of uh, of, of each species. And uh, so we have, I'm sure we've got the widest range of fish anyone's offering on a retail basis anywhere in the world. And I get a kick out of that because um, I think fish is a wonderful thing to eat. Uh, it's very healthy in almost every case. And, um, and I'd like to give people the opportunity to um, experience all these, uh, all these different kinds of seafood i think i've gone on for long enough about that jim <clears throat> uh, no no not at all i could listen to it all day and uh, alistair and it's really taken me to think that i wouldn't be surprised if in some occasions in the past when you were grimsby that you might have even used some fish that i supplied because i was a huge supplier to to grimsby well, when was this? Because I was buying this fish in, in the late 70s. I was buying it. I was sending fish to Grimsby from the early 70s to the mid to late 90s. Well, I'm, I'm, I probably did. Um, I, re I remember there was a there's a particular corner of the... Uh, have you been to the fish market in Grimsby? Many times. I loved it. I loved the, the characters and everything right. about it. I'll tell you who I used to deal with latterly. A guy, a, a fish salesman, Norman Slater. Norman Slater. 
Um, well, if it was latterly, um, I wouldn't know him because I was out of the fish docks by 1980. Okay, uh, right. You have to give uh, earlier contacts. Uh, well, John R. Richardson. Remember John, John Richardson. Golly, <laughs> he was a character. Yes, I <laughs> very well. Record. Uh, yeah, John Richardson. Golly. Record. Is that is that what you, is that is that what you called him? Um, that's that's what I think that's what he was known as. I don't know. This is heard... the guy. He 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 um he 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 developed a passion for hunting foxes well, on, on horses uh, in in the middle of his life, and uh, he'd never ridden before, and suddenly thought this is the thing, and he got into it very seriously. I heard that story. Yeah. Did you did you hear when the hunt? The leader of the head of the hunt came up to him and says, Mr. Richardson, when you see a fox, the term you use is tally ho, tally ho. Not, he says, we don't want to hear, there's the furry tailed bastard. God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Well, I knew, I, yes, I knew him uh, and uh, I knew him well. He was, he was, he was. Definitely a character. And Kurt Christensen, remember Kurt? He yes, was... Kurt, yeah. Blonde guy with a beard. That's right, nice guy, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Norman Slater rented a part of Kurt's office when he started. Right. He, he Norman Slater himself was with a, I think it's either, is it United Trawlers or one of the big troll companies that, what were finished after the Cod War and yeah. <clears throat> stuff like that. But I used to love going down there. Great characters. Mm. Brilliant. Did you ever uh, come across Rex Kemp? I, I I dealt with Rex Kemp and I was buying f dogfish in Loch Inver yeah. and Kinloch Bervy and sending them direct into Rex Kemp for years. And you must have sent them into Gordon Ridlington as well. Gordon Ridlington and Harry, or oh, there's somebody else, used to be with Colbex and left Colbeck, them. Yeah, yeah, yes, I was familiar with all of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, but Rex Kemp was a real character. <laughs> I was I was very young when I started dealing with him. I'll never forget it, Alistair. Uh, we met halfway. And he came up to Edinburgh and I came down and we're driving out the Edinburgh road towards Musselburgh. <clears throat> and obviously I was a young, young guy, just probably had a, my first clapped out mini or something like that. It was my first car. And I was sitting, in fact, I remember when I went home and my father was asking me how it went. I said, Dad, I was sitting in this Jaguar and I said, it was so quiet, I could hear the clock ticking. <laughs> <laughs> was that his white? Uh, do you remember, was that a white Jaguar? Yeah, that's and right. did it stink of dogfish? Pardon? I said, did it stink oh, of dogfish? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, mind you, that was, that was nothing new for me because I should be ashamed to say it, but my good wife would tell you, from over the years, as I said, I started off with a mini, a second-hand mini, 
I've had Mercedes, top of the range Mercedes, <clears throat> BMWs, Volvos, and every one of them stunk of fish. Because <laughs> if I had fish to go from A to B, it didn't matter what what vehicle I had, they would go in it, and it was ridiculous, really. Well, fancy that our common background, uh, Jim. Uh, funnily enough, funnily enough, I, I did. Ha I, I met uh, Gordon Ridlington um, uh, for dinner. Um, about I was in Grimsby, very unusually, uh, and uh, I, I looked him up, and uh, we had dinner together about uh, about three months ago. Uh, he's fine. Even my youngest son, who's now in uh, Anthony, who's now in Australia. He came into our business and he was learning auctioneering and he actually went down. We actually arranged for him to go down and he he was selling on the market, a trainee obviously, with this guy Norman Slater. And he was staying in the, you know, the Siemens home, the, like the mission. Jim, Jim, are you listening? Yeah. My great-grandparents founded the Danish Fisherman's Mission in Ryby Square, opposite the fish docks. Wow, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, well. My, 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 um, my grandmother, who was born in about 1896 or something like that, um, she was the daughter of two um, Danes who had come over i assume in the 1880s or something like that um to um to run this danish fisherman's mission in grimsby uh and you'll never imagine she married a danish fisherman <laughs> 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 who uh who who i mean you know he, he then was based in grimsby for the rest of his life it's called pallet mock M-O-R-C-K is how we always pronounced it. And um that's how we how we spelt it. And um yes, he he then fished in uh, fished from Grimsby and later became a ship's husband, as in he dealt with all the shoreside stuff for several boats, for several sane letters. Um I never met him, he died before I was born. But um yes, the Danish Fisherman's Mission, which is now, I think, just the Fisherman's Mission. Uh, uh, yes, I've got that direct connection to it. Believe it or not. That's uh, what. What was the relationship? Did you say had founded it? Your my 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 grandmother's parents. I don't know if they founded it, but I mean, I assume it was um, uh, you know some kind of um, civic, you know, Danish group enterprise rather than a private business uh, but they um they they managed it ran it uh yeah in the at the end of the 19th century there was a great uh, cooperation between grimsby and denmark in the days. definitely no, no. Yeah. So, i mean lots, look, lots of danish could... landed there catches in yeah. Grimsby uh, because uh, there was a very good market for fish here, bigger than yeah. the I'll never forget my son Anthony telling us one time that somebody was asking him, a fish merchant in Grimsby was asking him would he sell salmon for him on the market and Anthony says to him 
uh, the conversation went, Anthony says, is it wild? And fish merchant turned to them and says, wild? He says, they're absolutely furious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have heard that one before, Jim. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe. Possibly from the same guy. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic to get connections. I'm sure uh, you would have uh, been getting. I was in a project from within the 80s. Maybe is it you say 80? You were finished there. Yeah, yeah. I arrived Aye, there in no. 76 and finished in 80. Yeah. I no. I was dealing with Rex Kemp before that, but. Uh, I was getting, I was started taking fish from Faroese boats, landing at fishing in the Faroes, landing yeah. in Scrabster, and I was trucking them to, to Grimsby. Okay. And, uh, well, we'd put a, but, uh, but Rex Kemp was buying a lot of that fish, and that was primarily cod. So he did buy more than dogfish. Yeah, you know, dogfish was his second, he had a brief second career in dogfish because that business that you are talking about which became a very big business northwall my recollection is it was called northwall fish um uh rex was out of that before i arrived on the fish docks in grimsby he'd fallen out with too many people i think and uh and although he had some interest in the business he didn't work in it by this time, uh, but uh, he couldn't not work. I mean, he was that kind of character. Uh, and uh, so he found, found himself a very small fish house uh, just off the docks. Uh, and uh, he did dogfish there. Uh, and um, he, he, was the, he was a replica of Ridwin and Alf, what was the guy called? Alf, oh, can't remember his proper name. Uh, and Coolbeck. I mean, dogfish were massive in Grimsby at the time. Yeah. And I think Rex just said, "Well, I'll, I'll have a bit of that. Send me some dogfish. I'll deal with that." He claimed his claim was he was the biggest dogfish handler in the world. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, you know, you know about fishermen, their claims. Okay. Okay, okay. Get back to the Fish Society. Where do you get your fish from now, Alistair? Well, now we get it from, uh, we've probably got 150 or 200 suppliers. And um, many of these just suppliers with one or two items because these are the items that they are very good at. Uh, a case in point would be, um, you know, the halibut farm in Gia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, unfortunately, is, is, is going to close down this year. They've got a, an issue with uh, the water temperature. And they're hoping to reestablish it uh, in the Shetlands, I think, or, you know, much further north. Uh, but... Um, we buy our halibut from them. That's we buy our halibut and smoked halibut from them, or we have done for the last ten years, and uh, and they are fantastic at it. They they produce really, really superb halibut. And and he, and he's so passionate of 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 his 
product. In, indeed, he's he's called Alistair as well, of course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and you know, we have a guy, you know, a guy we buy our crab from. Uh, in fact, we've probably got two guys we buy crabs from. Uh, there's uh, someone in the uh, in the Channel Islands we get uh, scallops from. Uh, and some other uh, and some crab products. Uh, we buy our, our smoked haddock from uh, from Enderby in Grimsby. I've been dealing with them for forty years, um, and uh, so th these are the relationships we've got. And uh, we have we have we also have suppliers in France and and and, and Spain, I think, and uh, and. Uh, so, so, so we get our fish from wherever we can get the best of its kind from. It's probably the best summary I can give you. Yeah, yeah. It sounds as if if you're well covered. It's certainly fantastic to hear that you're well covered on different species. You don't stick to. I mean, I I used to have a factory in Wick in the early seventies to nineties, and we used to supply the fresh market. We did a bit of frozen as well, but we supplied a lot to the fresh market around the main centre cities of England and that. And you could almost section off the country, the whole UK, by species. If it was Haddock and Seoul, Scotland, if it was Cod, it was Birmingham, right. place maybe in Birmingham, Haddock in Yorkshire. <laughs> Yes, well, we uh, um, well we, we we have lot we, we have lots of suppliers and um, uh, and you know we we try and find someone who's specialist in this. We deal very fairly with them, and uh, we look to get uh, a very good service from them. And uh, you know, we met many. We we are we are approached by potential new suppliers um, every day of the week, uh, but we're quite picky, as you can imagine, uh, about uh, adding a new supplier. You know, well, what have you? You know, what what do what have you got? What do you really specialise in? That's going to impress us. And uh, if it's the same old, same old, um, we we will uh, tend to pass them by. And it's. I think it's fantastic with a variety because because of what I said that I mean we're classed as a nation to have been very conservative in our in our what we eat and how we eat it. So you're obviously tapping into a market that's trying to look for something else. Um, well, yes, yeah, we we are we are definitely specialists and i'd like to point out that having this wide range of fish uh you know it is it is quite a burden because some of these fish um you might have to buy quite a lot of it to get any of it at all and um and it can you know i remember the first time we bought some uh king crab for instance uh uh, it came from uh, it came from the very northern tip of Norway, where there are no roads. The, 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 our pallet had to go on the 
It's called the Hurtigruten. Do you know that 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 ferry that goes all the way up Norway? Uh, and uh, yeah. it was a hell of a you know the transport job to get it to. So it was onto the Hurtigruten, uh, down halfway down Norway, transshipped into a port there, sent to Grimsby, put on lorry, come to us. Uh, you know the transport operation alone was uh, very difficult to organise. Uh, but a pallet of um, of king crab uh, costs about twenty thousand pounds, and that was an astonishing amount of money for our little company to sink into one product. Uh, but we had been buying it for a king's ransom in uh, in Billingsgate, uh, a box at a time, uh, and it was selling quite well. Uh, and I thought we we need to have a direct supply from the people who produce this. So we tracked down these guys in uh, in Norway, uh, picked up the phone to them, persuaded them we were you know we were we were serious, and got them to take out one pallet and give it this special treatment to get it to us. No doubt, you know, we paid for it, uh, but then. We have this direct relationship with, uh, you know, with the producer of this product, and and, and the, the effort that goes into, you know, creating that direct relationship with someone who's used to sending all their fish into, you know, getting rid of it by the lorry load, uh, you know, is is is, you know, you need a lot of time and resources to deal with that. We just we just got some uh, bocaronis from Spain and uh, we were looking for a new supplier of boccaronis about two years ago and I remember spending hours on the internet and eventually finding two small independent producers of boccaronis operating from something not much more than a shop apparently with a bit of local distribution uh, around the north of Spain and um and then then you know we, there were many emails backwards and forwards uh, about uh what's the documentation required to get into the uk you know that looks quite that looks quite difficult of course it is very difficult now um but eventually uh, half a pallet of these uh, very fine boccaronis arrived and uh, we've been selling those on our on our site ever since, and we just we just ordered some more from from the same guys. Um, but uh, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, ordering your fish is ringing up your supplier and saying, "I'll have ten of those tomorrow, please." Uh, and uh, that is not that is not the case for us. It, you know, many purchases are you know a ten part blow by blow account uh, all by themselves. How do you do you buy do you buy your fish filleted and prepare packed or? Well, we we, we we buy both. So we we employ uh, we employ three filleters currently, and um, they uh, they are filleting uh, whole fish, uh, obviously. Um, A lot of what they do is salmon, uh, because we could get salmon fillets delivered to us, but we sell a lot of salmon sashimi, 
And to get exactly what we want, we have to control the thing ourselves. Um, as you will know, Jim, uh, if you uh, if you get someone else to fill it and fill it and freeze your fish, uh, it's never quite as good yeah. as what, what you would uh, be able to achieve yourself if you've got control over it. So although we do buy in fillets from some trusted suppliers, um, we, pr we, 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 we fish where we are able to get good quality fresh fish or good quality frozen whole fish, um, we will we would rather we would rather have that than have fillets or or, or portions. Uh, okay. And would you portion it yourself? Cut it to like a sashimi, and that would would you? What part of the fish would you use well, they, for the? They don't, they, don't let me, they don't let me near the fish much these days, <laughs> Jim. Uh, but, oh, will, uh, you eat, will you will you eat it? Uh, I'll certainly eat it. Um, but they, um, we do have, uh, yeah, um, yeah, we do portion it ourselves. So the, the filleters, having filleted in it, will then portion it. Uh, and of course, it's you know it's a serious art um, getting the different cuts of uh, sashimi from you know a great big fillet of salmon, uh, for instance. You know that bit makes a sake block. That bit um, is a sort of ventresca, you know, a chest uh, um, uh, um, part, uh, um, a belly, a belly flap, I should be saying. Yeah. Uh, this bit has to be, you know, that it's never going to make any uh, sashimi, so that's going to go into uh, um, uh, what we call offcuts, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. And would you make a like a fish cake or a fish pie or something with the offcuts? Uh, we don't we don't put salmon in our fish pie, which is quite a big thing. I can tell you our fish okay. pie, uh, because we want our fish pie to be a standout item. So I could tell you a bit about that in a minute. Uh, but uh, we do make salmon burgers and we make tuna burgers. Uh, and uh, um, and we also sell these offcuts, which are little lumps of perfectly good fish, no skin, no bone. It's like a piece of like a nice piece of scampi. And we sell those in a 200 gram bag, uh, which, of course, is one serving. Uh, and we've always held have had these on our website. They, we call them misshapes, and we do misshapes in about twenty different species of fish, uh, uh, and they've always they've always been a, a big seller. Yeah, that's it's fantastic because uh, I think that I always used to see when we had a restaurant as well with that as we called offcuts and things like that. It's a business, and uh, why? Throw them in the in the bit, the awful barrel when they're perfectly good food to put into something. Well, absolutely, and uh, obviously you you can't afford to throw them away either. Yeah. I mean, uh, that would make the the fish that you did not throw the, the fish that you retained would be much more expensive if if you were throwing away all these offcuts. But we Which... also uh, we also uh, keep uh, a lot of the good, the skeletons. So we, we make uh, we make our own fish stock uh, from uh, from prime fish skeletons, uh, and um, we will also sell bones. So uh, you know red mullet bones, for instance, uh, they are pretty desirable. 
uh, and uh, we sell we sell those um, as you know you can buy you can buy those as an item on our website. Kilo of red bullet pens. Uh, what would they do? Into, it, you can now buy either the bones or the heads. Um, and what would they do? Somebody buying that, what would they do with well, them? Well, they probably want to make their own stock with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's really, that's really taking it down this specialized uh, products yes. for. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, tell you how we got onto this. Um, about, we're, we're not far from Guildford, Surrey University at Guildford. Uh, and, uh, a lady rang me up there. She said, I'm the professor of nutrition here. And I've got a couple of uh, Malaysian students who are uh, doing a PhD in something or other. I can't remember. Uh, and we understand you have some uh, fresh fish. Could we, could we come to your place to see what you do? So I said, oh, absolutely. So a couple of days later, they turned up. And she was Malaysian as well. And um, we were filleting some halibut from uh, from Alistair, uh, from Gear, And um, at that time, we were, uh, well, we, we're, we're always sort of, you never got enough people to do exactly what you want to do, have you? Um, but um, we were filleting halibut and, the, and the, uh, the frames, the skeletons, they were going in the offal, okay? Mm. And we'd had, I don't know, 100 kilos of halibut that day. So there's quite a lot of, quite a lot of offal. So I was showing them around the place and they were happy with all that. They asked about where this came from and so on and so forth. And uh, as we were, as I was showing them out, she said, um, can I just ask, what, what, what are you going to do with those, uh, with those halibut skeletons there? And I said, well, it'd be nice to do something with them, but you know, we don't have the resources to going in the bin. Oh, Heaven, she said, maybe I could take them home. <laughs> I said, well, maybe, maybe you could take them home. They were, I furnished her with a, a couple of black bags, and she and these two students took 50 kilos of halibut skeleton <laughs> away, uh, demonstrating to me that uh, there is a hot demand for skeletons, and you really shouldn't be throwing them away. You can, you can sell them. Well, you can't sell them all. Uh, there aren't enough Malaysians or whatever, uh, or Asian people who really appreciate these skeletons in the country uh, to, to, to buy everything. But we do have them on our site. Uh, and I'd say the demand for those is, is, is growing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who, who are your customers, Alistair? Our customers are all... Uh, private individuals uh, buying uh, for delivery to their houses and they are going to serve the fish themselves. I say all, that's probably 96% by number and value of our customers. Uh, we do have a few wholesale customers uh, who come to us for specialist items where uh, you know, we have become quite a significant importer by dint of you know tracking down a, a one guy in spain who makes this uh kind of thing uh so we 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 do have a few fish merchants and restaurants that come to us for very specialist items uh but uh but our 
main market is uh, private individuals. And we've got a few private chefs who like to buy their fish from us as well. Because if, they, if a private chef wants something a little bit unusual, they can either go to their fish monger, ask him to get it, or they can find it on our site and order it, and it arrives you know, the next day yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Which is so you do have a restaurant uh, trade. It's it's tiny. It's tiny. We're we're, we're thinking about ways to uh, to develop it, but the restaurant trade is very well served by um, by fish merchants, wholesalers who specialize in restaurants. No. Uh, any restaurant, I'm sure, could ring up. Uh, three or four nearby suppliers of fish. Uh, you know, they can place their order at eight o'clock at night and have it delivered at, uh, at uh, ten o'clock the next morning, can't they? If they're if they're if they're a good restaurant in a reasonably populous part of the country, uh, and that's a rather different business from what we do, uh, which is to pack your order into. Uh, so you can order by noon today. And it'll be delivered by five o'clock tomorrow to most parts of the country. Uh, and you know that that and, and all our fish is frozen, whereas quite a few restaurants think they want their fish to be fresh, or at least that part of it that they can get fresh. They want that fresh. Whereas we don't faff around with fresh. Uh, we have to say we've got 400 kinds of fish here, and they're all frozen, and you can have them tomorrow, kind of thing. And uh, when you talk about freezing, do you freeze them? Do, do you specialise do, 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 uh, when you're freezing them? Well, we, we, we free when we get in fresh fish, uh, uh, yes, we are, we are going to freeze that. Uh, or when we get in uh, frozen, frozen whole fish, which we then defrost and fill it, uh, we, will, we will then refreeze that. Um, and um, but a lot of but a lot of fish, uh, it's not practical uh, or remotely realistic for us to uh, process it ourselves. For instance, prawns. Uh, you need to be a specialist factory close to the prawn catching or farming areas to process those. So of course we we will buy in a pallet of frozen prawns and put them in our cold store, bring them out, repack them into our packs and, and, and send them off. But yes, we do we do, do quite a bit of freezing. There's, I wouldn't say it's altogether the case, the closer you are on prawns. Well, if, if you're looking at the, I mean, the fishermen in Scotland class, langoustines as prawns. Indeed. And Quite often, locals can't get them because they're all shipped live direct to Spain. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> uh, the, the Spanish love them and pay what it's worth to yeah. get hold of them. Uh, so that's obviously what the uh, that's obviously what the fishermen are. That's yeah. interesting you say that because quite often in conversations with people over the years, people would say to me, "Oh, it's terrible that." Um, <clears throat> there's prawns, langoustines been landed close to our door and we can't buy them and my answer to that was I've never met a fisherman who says no you cannot buy my fish 
they are they are landing them where they can get where they're getting the best price and the spanish market prepared to pay the price yeah that's true that's that's the reason yeah and the uh, having said that we 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 get uh, we got we've got the most fantastic scampi uh, so we we have langoustines on our site which of course come from scotland and and ours are processed in processed and frozen our langoustines are whole langoustines with the claws on they're processed and frozen in Scotland, uh, and uh, yeah, they're quite a good seller. But also, we have uh, we have a, a very very specialist line, which is uh, uh, I, I call it naked scamping. Uh, and the bigger uh, uh, scampi is normally sold swathed in breadcrumbs, of course, uh, and and often you're getting two or three uh, scampi tails sort of glued together and then covered in uh, in, in in the breadcrumbs uh, and you know that is scampi to most people but we have a superb product which is naked scampi and it's one scampi tail uh, from a very very from xxl size uh the langoustine and uh, this is a unique product for for us uh, and we buy this from a processor in Scotland, and we simply—I I, believe—we simply take all the. He—he—he uh, he, he makes breaded scampi, uh, but in buying in buying the langoustines to turn into the scampi, uh, he's he's sometimes buying some bigger langoustines, uh, and I think we buy all those from him, uh, and we pay him a lot of money for them, and then, you know, then we charge the same. We charge a lot of money on our site as well. But this this is this this is a fish society defining product i think our large okay. that's pretty good uh, of course i take it with that way you're describing it uh, you could use it as a, a product when when i had the restaurant we had a fish and chip uh, kiosk at the side and we used mm -hmm. to do battered scampi and it was really popular. Yeah, what a yeah, fantastic. We, well, we we we, tra we tracked down uh, a guy in Northern Ireland actually who makes battered scampi for the Northern Ireland uh, uh, catering trade, uh, and uh, we persuaded him to uh, to supply us. And uh, he has a fantastic battered scampi product, which is about it's probably about twice the price of breaded scampi. Because the amount of batter uh, is uh, is much less than the amount of breadcrumbs, so yeah. it, has to, it has to be more expensive per mouthful, uh, and that is a very hot seller. Um, that's another fish society defining product. You can't get that anywhere else. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some of your market would maybe often prefer fr fr fresh fresh to frozen. How would you how do you deal with that? <laughs> uh, well, this issue this issue crops up quite often. In fact, I was I was take I, I happened to pick up the phone to a customer the other day, uh, and she said she was new and she ordered uh, some Doversol fillets and uh, and then some um, what else did she order some some uh, um, scallops. And 
I was just about to charge her card, and she said, this is all fresh, isn't it? And I said, no, it isn't. It, as it says on our website, she was looking at the website, it says on every page it says it's frozen, and all our fish is frozen. Oh, well, I'm not interested in that then. <laughs> so she didn't even let me get uh, an explanation in. Uh, she uh, said, uh, I'll find it fresh elsewhere. Well, of course, she's never going to find Dover Salt fillets fresh for delivery tomorrow elsewhere. Uh, but uh, I mean, I'm sure she was doing her best. So there is this very, uh, well, it, it, it's fading, but nevertheless, there is still a widespread perception that fresh fish is better than frozen fish. And I think this is probably only true in one instance, which is where you are buying the fish from the fisherman and you're going to take it home today uh, and eat it in the next uh, 24, 48 hours. Um, undoubtedly, this is the height of uh, the fish experience. Uh, but um, if you're buying fresh fish in a supermarket, um, these days, although you don't realize this, it, it has been frozen and it's been defrosted to make it look fresh. But if you go into Marks and Spencer's, Asda, Tesco, Sainsbury, any of these and pick up a pack of fresh fish uh, from the shelf. So you're talking about a tray with a film over it, a fillet inside it, uh, and you're buying it at sort of two degrees C, so that's fresh. I guarantee on the label at the back, it will say something along the lines of, in fact, I've got, I've got a Marks and Spencer um, label right here, Jim. And uh, it says, this product has been frozen and returned to chill temperature. Further freezing will not affect the quality. Uh, and that phrase, uh, or something along those lines, is on every supermarket pack of fresh fish. So it has been frozen, uh, but because it's a bit of a lie, really, isn't it? They presented as fresh because they know people prefer fresh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, with, without them really revealing that it has been frozen. Now, there is a reason, there's a very good reason why fresh fish historically had um, a better reputation than frozen, and that is this. In the, in the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s, when commercial freezing uh, began to take off in the fish trade. It was, of course, applied to uh, the cheapest fish on the, on the market. So imagine the Grimsby uh, fish market, you know, 1937 or 1947, uh, 10,000 uh, um, totes of fish. Uh, this fish was caught by that trawler, by, by that little local uh, same netter um, three days ago. It looks fantastic. 100 yards further down the quayside, this fish was caught in Icelandic waters two weeks ago. And frankly, it, it hasn't gone off, but it's not as good as it was, uh, as it was when it was caught. So uh, the, the, the guy 
the guy with the freezing capacity, uh, he, he's going to buy the, the, the cheaper fish, pretty obviously, and you know, that is going to be frozen because that is the only way to get it to market in an eatable state. So when it gets to market and it's defrosted and eaten, it doesn't taste as good as the fresh fish for pretty obvious reasons. So when, when freezing came along, it was applied to the cheaper fish uh, that needed to be frozen, frankly, to get it to the market. Now, all that is past history. Fish is now very scarce. Um, it's looked after. It, it, um, it, no, one, no one catches fish at sea these days and comes back to port to sell it fresh two weeks later. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and a lot of fish is caught, you know, is catched to market within a week. Uh, and all fish is of a much better quality. But if you freeze the fish at the point, you know, at the point when it's landed, um, you are just freezing, freezing it as it is there and then. And if you freeze the, the best fish, uh, when you defrost it, you've still got the best fish. Um, however, that old, old saw, um, fresh fish is superior to frozen, still lingers in people's minds. Um, I don't think I've I don't think I've really explained that very well, but um, I hope I've got the point over that um, uh, if you if you put side by side uh, fresh fish that has taken several days to get onto the Tesco or or Sainsbury shelf side by side on a plate cooked with uh, frozen fish. It was frozen uh, uh, as soon as it was possible to freeze it, like much earlier than uh, uh, than in other circumstances. Um, you you will not be able to. Ninety nine people out of hundred will not be able to tell the difference between the two. I you're saying that you're not explaining it very well. I think you explained it absolutely perfectly, Alistair, because really. What you're saying, and obviously with your experience so long in the in the industry, I think the whole crux of the matter is good provenance. And if you know where that fish came from, is coming from, and you know about it, it I I totally agree with you. And I, I've worked. My father was a fisherman. I've been in the fishing industry. I'm 73, you could say probably close on 60 years between school days off and, and that. So I've been involved with fresh fish all my life, but I would 100% say what you're, the way you've put it there is absolutely spot on. Good provenance, starting with a good product, it is absolutely as good when you thaw it out as sitting alongside fresh. I honestly believe that. Right. Yeah, it's 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 how the fish has been handled, the provenance, and 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 well, the provenance really includes how it's been handled all the way down the line, doesn't it? Yeah. Provenance. You think of which sea did it come from, but really, it's it's who caught it, how well did they look after it, uh, up until they landed it, how well has it been looked after since then? Uh, it's the handling of the fish, which is much more significant. And the age of the fish is much more significant to the, the eating experience than 
the simple fact of whether it was whether it was frozen or not. And to 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 banish all frozen fish on the grounds that that woman customer I was talking about did uh, last week is just a nonsense. But you can't always explain that to people. And how do you keep it frozen when you're delivering it to people, sending it out? So um, we have uh, uh, we have some very superior. We, we used to use polystyrene packaging. Uh, of course, that became pretty unacceptable uh, over the last few years. So two years ago, very very expensively, we switched to some very superior cardboard packaging, uh, which is very thick, uh, and we put your fish in there with some dry ice. Okay. And we give it to, you know, then it's all sealed in and we give it to the courier at, uh, you know, five o'clock in the evening. Uh, and he's going to deliver 99% of those packages by five o'clock the following evening. And they will still be frozen thanks to our packaging and the, and the dry ice. Yeah. yeah. However, I should go on to say that uh, this little leaflet I was quoting to you um, uh, a while ago, which has got the, it's got the Marks and Spencer um label in it explaining that uh i'll just read it again this product has been frozen and returned to chill temperature further freezing will not affect the quality so of course it's quite significant if mns says you can refreeze because this is another issue can you read that there jim uh hang on hang on sorry mm. Never refreeze defrosted food. Never refreeze. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now this is another uh, burden for us to bear because one to two percent of our parcels uh, arrive uh, a day late. So we book we book them on for delivery tomorrow by the courier to Lincoln. Uh, and uh, next morning they ring up. Say, Sorry, your package, your package is in uh, Cornwall, uh, and it'll get to Lincoln tomorrow. Uh, and of course, the dry ice isn't going to last that long, so the, the fish will likely be defrosted, but still very cold uh, when it when it arrives. And uh, we have we must have delivered half a million parcels of fish. And uh, I, I suppose 4,000 of them turned up uh, defrosted, but still cold. So I've had 4,000 conversations with people who said, well, my fish is defrosted. And um, I'd say eight out of 10 of them are perfectly happy to be reassured by me that you can refreeze it. Uh, and uh, if you think there's some difference when you eat it, uh, let me know and I'll keep you happy. But um, but the other two out of ten just will not have it. They've been brought on, brought up on never refreeze defrosted food. So I explained to them, well, you can refreeze it if it's still cold. This edict, never yeah. refreeze defrosted food, uh, that is very important if you're trying to put a message out to 60 million people, because those 60 million people include 600,000 idiots who will. Get something out of the freezer, leave it on the kitchen surface, go and do something else, change their plans, encounter it again, you know, two days later, it's been on the kitchen surface all that time, 
and refreeze it. That is obviously a very dumb thing to do. And just to protect those people against themselves, the message in the market is never refreeze defrosted food. Um, however, as you will know, refreezing after defrosting uh, is a widespread practice. Uh, all, all, almost all the frozen fish in supermarkets has been defrosted and refrozen because it's been done under controlled conditions. So it's never been allowed to get to room temperature. You've got to keep it under four degrees C. This way, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the harmful elements, the bacteria that creep in at high temperatures uh, don't get a look in and, and refreezing in these circumstances is perfectly safe. Hence, we now send out with our, uh, with our, um, all our packages, um, this, this leaflet that says, not frozen, not a problem, say here. Ideally, every order would arrive frozen, around 95% do, the rest arrive very cold, which is fine, as we explain inside. And inside is the explanation uh, that I've just been going through with you. Uh, and another page that says, and while we're on the subject, here's our best advice about defrosting. Can't remember what the question was, Jim, but uh, I think I've run out of answers there. No, I think you've answered it. It was about the provenance and the handling and all that. And I think when I say good provenance, as far as hand, as far as frozen fish is concerned, I think that includes when you get it and you're you're part of it. I mean. When I'm talking about good provenance, I'm not talking about before you get it. I'm talking about from when it comes out to the sea until the housewife has it delivered to her door. And it seems to me, from what the way you talk, it's a well-oiled machine with people that know what they're doing. And, and uh, I, I would say it would be an absolutely superior product. Uh, yes, Uh well, I mean, we are a well-oiled machine, and uh, we have, you know, we, we have very good uh, reviews. We've got fifteen thousand reviews, independent reviews, uh, which you can see from our website, uh, and uh, a lot of them are five stars. So, you know, we're quite happy we're doing the best job we possibly can. How do you find? How do you compete against supermarkets? Do you feel you have something they haven't got? How do we compete against supermarkets? Well, we have to be, uh, we have to have a much wider range, uh, and we have to make sure that uh, a lot of our range is clearly superior to to what what they have. Um, so we we will use bigger fish, which give us thicker cuts. Um, if you look at our our uh, uh, our, our salmon. Uh, fillets. We have. We always have organic salmon. By the way, uh, um, we 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 we've only the farm salmon we've sold has always been organic for the last uh, for the last twenty years. Uh, we um, uh, we 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 prepare the fish very carefully. Uh, so uh, our Fillet steaks are, you know, they're, they're, they're a nice shape. They are definitely boneless. Um, we, we, when we're putting two fillets, two, two together, they're always the same size. 
we don't use tape. We don't give you a, a, a tailpiece unless you're specifically asking asking for one. Um, so so we've got a wide range of fish. We try and keep the best best quality we can. Uh, we try to have bigger cuts than you're going to get in uh, bigger bigger thicker pieces of fish than you can get in the supermarket. Uh, and of course, the provenance uh, the provenance is very good all the way to you. Uh, and and we have our very large range, which you can't get in the supermarket. How far do you send fish from? Now we have sent fish um, a couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas. We sent some Dover soles and lemon soles and uh, something else. Place I think it was to Vancouver. Wow. <laughs> We have sent fish to Perth. We have sent fish to Sydney and fish to Hong Kong. Uh, we used to send we used to send fish all around Europe every day, uh, but because of Brexit, we can't do that any longer. The, the, the paperwork to send fish into in, into Europe is, is just impossible to complete. I mean, it's possible to complete, but it would take three days, you know, to to, to do it. Vet certificates and all that kind of thing, um, which is a great pity. Uh, but uh, if you put in enough dry ice and you've got a customer at the other end who knows that, well, as long as the fish is cold when I open it, it's fine, uh, then uh, then you can send literally halfway around the world. Um, and you've also got to have a customer who's prepared to pay for it. But we used to have a guy in Sydney who was very partial to. Um, cod, smoked cod road. You won't be surprised to hear that that is not in the supermarkets in Sydney. Uh, and uh, he used to buy £200 worth of it, and then he would pay, I don't know, £150 to have it delivered um, to Sydney. Uh, it was a bit nail biting <laughs> the first time we did it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it still is, still is, but, um, but but we we can achieve these things. Uh, so yeah. we, we've we've sent fish literally all, all all around the globe. South America haven't got as far as South America yet. Um, the but, smoking uh, process would have helped that. The smoking process would yes, help the shelf life. I'm not yeah. saying to. But, some, but some what we sent to. Uh, that, that, that it was it was a uh, smoked cod we sent to Sydney, uh, but the the shipment to Perth was cockles, believe it or not, um, shelled cockles, uh, which were not smoked, and they were they were quite a challenge to keep those frozen all the way. A lot of dry ice went in that part. Hmm. That's well, that's pretty impressive, considering the amount of shellfish the Australians have. I think uh, oh. our, our son's there, and uh, we've been a number of times, and I kind of feel that they've got the edge on us as far as shellfish concerned, but I think we've got the better variety of whitefish. Uh, yes, I think I'd agree with you. I, I was in Australia a couple of years ago, and uh, the fish... In fact, I had... A, I had a, have, you, have, you, have you been there, Jim? Pardon? To Australia. Have you oh, been to Australia? Oh, in Sydney. Have you have you done the tour of the Sydney fish market? 
absolutely wonderful environment. That's a brilliantly exciting place. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, 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 I had the tour um, when I was there, and I was the only person on the tour. So I had individual attention, and uh, oh. there were some very, very exciting fish uh, there. I remember yeah. the guy held up a pipe fish, which was um, two feet long and two inches wide. At his widest <laughs> point, uh, very exciting, and lots of uh, lots of oysters and lobsters and uh, and similar there. Yeah, it's fascinating watching the, the the guy. One of the guys is standing there all day shucking oysters. <laughs> Golly, that would be a bit of a boring task. <clears throat> yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Alistair, could I ask how do you address sustainability? <clears throat> well, um, we have a, we call it the Sustainability Council, uh, and um, it's three people. It's me, the chief executive, and the stock manager. Uh, and um, we, we set this up about two years ago so that we would have a comprehensive coverage of, um, be able to evaluate all our fish, the purpose was let's go through every fish uh, and see what we think about its sustainability. Uh, because getting sustainability readings from other people, of course, is often quite difficult because they will be talking about, you know, fish caught in a specific place, uh, not in the place where your fish comes from. Uh, and in matching up what you've got against, for instance, the Marine Conservation Society's list of fish, you know, it can be, can, can be a challenge. Uh, so, so we decided to do our own research, taking in the Marine Conservation Society, uh, as in their good fish guide, and other sources of uh, you know, sustainability rating as well, and come up with our own on a scale of one to ten and we said uh if it's if it's five or less we can't sell that uh and you know five or less to us meant it's uh it's there are serious question marks over the, over the sustainability of this fish uh and uh the big decision that came out of this was that we would have to stop selling eel so freshwater eel not conger eel although we've dropped that one as well for the same reasons uh, but conger eel was never a big seller but uh, freshwater eel uh, it has was a huge seller for us especially smoked eel there are a few things finer than smoked eel i'm sure you'll agree with me on that uh, yeah. and uh, we decided in our um, sustainability council that um, after looking at all the evidence, including a lot of evidence in favor of uh, why, why, why it should still be up for sale, we, we decided that uh, we were going to take the IUCN's, you know, most endangered species rating seriously. So we stopped selling uh, the smoked eel. In, in, in fact, any kind of eel, because we used to sell unsmoked eel as well. That was 
that was quite popular too. Um, so we, so we, we meet uh, every couple of weeks. I have to say that uh, over the last two or three months, we've just had a lot of other things on our mind, including Christmas trading and our sustainability council hasn't met uh, for two or three months. Uh, but the, plan, the, the program was we're going to meet once every three weeks, sorry, once every two weeks, uh, and each of us is going to uh, research the sustainability of a fish uh, in that time and present their findings to everybody else, uh, the, the other two members of the Sustainability Council, and we'll we'll give it a rating, which we agree on. And we, we, we put the finding, we put these findings uh, on the product page on our website. So uh, uh, we've done about probably about a third to a half of all of all the fish we sell. And at the bottom of that, you can find our reasoned sustainability rating, which is always going to be six or higher, because if we doesn't make a six, uh, we just we just continue the sale on it. So it's, it's a very big job to to uh, honestly uh, evaluate the sustainability of uh, two or three hundred kinds of fish. Uh, uh, but we are we are we're on the job. I yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, MSC. I feel that there, I mean, there's a huge discrepancy between them and fishermen, and it's they see it their findings as a flawed science. And one of the things I would, I'm not going to go into the theories of it just now, Alistair, but one of the things I feel is wrong with them, they've got this, I'm sure you've seen it many times, they've got this traffic light system where green is go, yes, you could eat that species, amber, they're not so plentiful, you could eat it in lesser numbers, and red uh, don't eat it at all. It's unsustainable. And ask anybody involved in the fishing industry that I know of, and they'll tell you, fish conservation is far more complex than three colours. It's a far bigger subject. And as far as round, certainly around Europe, North Scandinavia, and countries like that, the quota system is so tightly monitored and governed that I think that to a degree on the catching sector, sustainability is taken care of by the what the you know how closely the fishermen are are uh, controlled in what they land species by species yeah yeah well it's a very complex subject uh, as as you say uh, and uh, i am not at the fish catching end of the industry um I, I do however think that uh fishermen are inclined to overfish if they get the opportunity to do that, uh, even if enlightened souls uh, in the industry uh, recognise that 
uh, a stock might be overfished. Um, that doesn't stop uh, the people who have no interest in, in, in sustaining the fish going and getting more of it. The tragedy of the commons, I'm sure that has, uh, you know, you've come across that metaphor, if, it, if that's the right word, a few times. And therefore, uh, I am standing, standing from, from my viewpoint, uh, which is that I'm not aboard a fishing vessel, I'm not a scientist, uh, I'm not monitoring the catches, uh, I just know what people want to buy, um, and I want it to be sustainable. Uh, I am inclined to go with what the scientists say, because if they are wrong in the sense that um, they've been too cautious, then it's, it's a self-correcting syndrome. Um, if, if the scientists say you can only catch 20,000 tons of that in that sea area next year because uh, that's all that's all it will, that's the maximum sustainable yield, uh, and they, they're wrong, and there was actually scope to catch 40,000 tons of that, that will be self evident to all the parties, including the scientists, within 18 months. Uh, yeah. and, 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 uh, and for this reason, uh, I would always follow the scientific advice. I would not discourage you from that. And if I if I come over uh, anything else, I'll um, apologise. But what I was getting at, I mean, yes, I, I think you're quite right, and it's uh, sensible and responsible to follow the scientist. But what, when I was talking about the MSC being a, classed as a flawed science, I wasn't talking about scientists at large. There's, there's the icy scientists who pretty much decide the quota year on year. And yeah. they've, increased, they've increased cod by 66% for the UK fleet this year. Yeah. And the MSC scientists are saying we should be stopped catching it. It's so right. by no way, am I, you know, please, by all means, continue uh, listening to the well, scientists. You see, that, uh, that's, that's quite interesting because when, when our sustainability council um, you know, is looking at a, a fish. Our starting point is what does the Marine Conservation Society, the MSC, say? So we notice whether it's you know green or red, uh, and that you know that's that's the first building block of what you're doing. But then we will also dig out uh, the IC's uh, reports on on, yeah. on and sometimes you'll find that you know the, the latest IC's report. Uh, the MSC hasn't uh, hasn't incorporated that into its thinking yet, yeah. uh, or, or or you might find uh, you know, that the ICs is saying uh, this stock from this area is sustainable, and the MSC might not recognise that. You know, might might not deal with that particular area. Uh, so. We, we do our research quite deeply as the, you know, 
to get to our sustainability uh, ratings uh, and uh, uh, including looking at uh, any ICs uh, information. Well, I commend you on that because uh, you're obviously what you're saying there, you're not just listening to one version of the story. And uh, that's, that's all I would uh, say. I would say, well done on that, because that's that's exactly what you need to do to get the true. I mean, I'm always a bit skeptical of MSC, MCS, all that people, because look at their website, Alistair, and the first thing you see when you open it is a big box, donate here. <laughs> That's and uh, and uh, you know I do have to say that they'll when they say about stopping cod fishing just now, it's this is that's been the particular bone of contention because the stocks of cod around the British Isles, Scotland in particular, are so plentiful just now, even lobster fishermen are getting cod in their creels right from the Solway up the north up the west coast along the north coast and right down to Berwick and Tweed on the on the east coast they're getting cod in their creels and people older a lot older than me never heard of that ever happening before and and oh, that's quite so, interesting Quite interesting. You should land on the cod there, Jim, because um, I have to confess that uh, we I was looking at um, the IC's report on the cod stocks um, in the run up to Christmas because um, there was I, I think there are five separate stocks. I think IC's represents identifies five separate stocks of cod around the UK. Uh, the one you're talking about around, especially the west coast of Scotland in one, uh, to tell you the truth, I can't delineate the other the other four, but I think uh, there, there might be a stock which is down in the below Berwick on Tweed, and there might be one in the, in the Ch Bristol Channel area and whatnot. Uh, and I think IC says that these the, the, the stock that you refer to as healthy, I think IC says the same thing. Uh, but it says the other stocks are still uh, in a state of, uh, yeah. Okay. They, they should be left alone. Uh, are, you, are you familiar with that? Is that your understanding as well? Are these five, are these five yeah. stocks? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's well known. A, a week there in the fishing industry, they're called boxes. They just call them boxes. And they quite... Quite not all that far from us, eh, where we are in the north here, there's a four degree line. Well, you could imagine the four degree latitude. Yeah. The, the west west of that is is west of that is a the west coast of Scotland. East of that is the east northeast. And the fishermen have separate quotas for each of that areas. Right. So if they have a quota for one area, they couldn't go into another area and catch that. And that goes 
and then Rockall is separate from west coast of Scotland. So right. and it's all it's polit it's like political boxes, so just different sea areas, mm-hmm. and so so. Uh, and so around all that box is just now cords and huge. I mean, they're having to. In, in your the... boxes around Scotland, but, but but can you speak for the boxes around England? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not aware. But uh, well, I know one of the boxes they can't fish any longer. The Dogger Bank because Greenpeace covered it in big concrete boulders. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I heard. Yes, I heard about that. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's it's con- conservation. It's all fish conservation at the end of the day, but uh, there's definitely a bitterness between the conservationists who are just into collecting money in tins or donations. With the with the commercial fishermen, the commercial fishermen, there's unlike as you say there, Alistair, about the scientists, it's the same the world over. With I mean, there's responsible fishermen, and there's irresponsible. There's a there's good there's responsible scientists, and there's irresponsible ones. So it's the same way oh. uh, in in every industry. It's it's and it's a bit of a minefield at times. We, with that, with uh, on the fish side of it, who who is the genuine ones and who you listen to? <laughs> I can fully appreciate that. But uh, no, as I said, I would say there's responsible scientists and there's responsible fishermen, definitely. Okay, well, we certainly all agree on that. <clears throat> Uh, can I ask you, you're, I understand you have some plans for bluefin tuna this year. Can you tell me more on that? Yes, yes. So this is a, this is a conservation and sustainability success story, uh, I can tell you. Um, so we have uh, a very good relationship uh, with uh, a small fishing firm in Mallorca. And they came to us last year and said, uh, would you like some bluefin tuna from Mallorca? Uh, and we said, well, we thought, we thought, um, we thought there wasn't any bluefin left in the Mediterranean. So, so what are you talking about? And they said, well, that was true 20 years ago, but then the EU banned bluefin tuna fishing in Mallorca and the stocks have recovered. So now there is a very carefully monitored quota for catching bluefin in the Mediterranean. And we in Mallorca have, I don't know what it was, 20 tons or 50 tons or something like that. Uh, and, and, and we are um, very good catchers of this tuna. Uh, and um, at the moment, because Mallorca is an island, it's quite difficult to you know, get the get the tuna off the island and get a decent price for it. Uh, and uh, we can get a good price for it in the summer when the island's packed with tourists. Uh, but the rest of the time, the price is quite low. So, uh, so we're looking for some new markets. So we went out to Mallorca and met these guys. We went fishing with them. In fact, Jeremy, my 
my colleague, he bought, he, he caught an 86 kilo tuna, a nice photograph of him catching bluefin tuna. And um, it all checks out. So we are going to be importing wild uh, bluefin uh, from Mallorca uh, later this year. The season starts, I think the season starts in May. Uh, and we are expecting our first consignment of frozen bluefin uh, from uh, Mallorca in about July. And uh, uh, this will be uh, it'll be a very special product because most of the bluefin that's sold at the moment is ranched. It comes from a couple of companies in Spain uh, who ranch, they, you know, they farm, they essentially farm their bluefin uh, and they feed it up to uh, marketable size. But ours is going to be entirely natural and wild. Uh, and we think there's going to be a very big market for it. And uh, we will be. Um, Thank you, Tom. We will be uh, we will be pursuing that uh, with Gusto in the second half of the year. So um, if you if you're into sashimi uh, and you like the finest bluefin for it, give us a call. The the fishermen around the UK are starting to catch it. They but are they're not allowed, they're, but they're not allowed to land it. No, we don't we don't we don't we don't have a quota. Um, no. I, I think there are there are certain circumstances in which you can land it because we have been offered some uh, UK court pollution, oh. uh, and it, it may well open up over the next few years uh, as the seas get warmer. This is one aspect uh, of, of that trend. Uh, but at the moment, uh, the guys we are dealing with in Mallorca, uh, they are free, this is super frozen tuna we're talking about, so they freeze it at minus sixty. Okay, wow. um, we have a we have minus sixty uh, freezing as well. Uh, and this, of course, maintains the colour of the tuna, which is what the uh -huh. sushi buyer wants to see. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you don't, if, if you have it, if you keep it at any temperature higher than minus sixty, for instance, in a, just a normal minus twenty cold store, the colour fades really quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, so we've made both the guys in uh, in Mallorca and we have made a big investment in. Minus 60, super frozen freezing. Uh, and uh, we're going to unleash that on the appreciative public uh, later this year. That's really exciting. But and the, the one thing it's making me think when you're saying this, Alistair, going back to the points we raised earlier about your freezing and the provenance and all that, if you've got, if you've got equipment uh, capable of minus 60 well that goes a major way towards that as well it it does we don't keep everything at minus 60 i should say uh but um you know the, the, this fantastic supreme product uh, has got to have uh, the most careful handling uh, and you know it deserves to be kept at minus 60 by the way we turned our we turned our minus sixty freezer on um, about one week before Putin invaded Ukraine, <laughs> and we were crying uh, when the uh, electricity price went up uh, because the cost of maintaining this freezer 
don't use astron. We keep our yellowfin tuna in there at the moment, uh, uh, which is the main tuna we currently sell. Uh, and, and, and that also has this uh, color degradation problem, uh, which is solved by the minus 60 degrees. Uh, but we are looking forward very much to filling it up with our own bluefin uh, later, later in the year. You know, I have to say, Alistair, your enthusiasm for what you do in your product, it's quite infectious because your passion is fantastic and it's every you you, you make me feel hungry even talking about <laughs> <laughs> which I think is goes a long way because it's very true as I say and lead by example and it comes uh -huh. from the top. So uh, that's uh, your passion comes across. I tell you, I tell you what, talking, talking of hungry, um, did I tell you uh, you you did a, you did one of these sessions with uh, Ian McAndrew? Yeah, the chef. Yeah, the chef. he's a good and, friend. Uh, what what's his book called? Feast, a feast of fish. A feast, feast of, of fish. fish. Feast of fish. That's the one. Yeah, and. Um, uh, so I was I was listening to a few of your pod when you rang up and said could you could we, could okay. we do this and I listened to a few of your podcasts and I listened I listened to that one and um, it reminded me that I I I bought a copy of that book when it came out and it does have some fantastic recipes in it and um, when we moved we moved the fish society to a new premises uh, a couple of years ago and. Uh, um, I, I had a big library of fish cookery books, uh, and I've never seen it since we moved. I think it's in three boxes somewhere at the back of the beyond. Uh, but <laughs> that, that's where my copy of his book is. Uh, and um, so when I when I heard the um, when I heard that uh, podcast you did with Ian McAndrew, I thought I I really should get an, get another copy of that book. So 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 I bought one and, I, and I've been read, reading it. Uh, and I'm wondering which recipe I'm going to make out of it first. Well, they all work. I'm pleased to hear it. Yeah, no, it's uh, amazing. Uh, he's such he's such a good chef. Such a you know very classic trained and uh, no, you would. Uh, I when we opened uh, it was just it was 2002. It, uh, it was published. And we bought it, and I was that's the year we bought, we opened the captain's galley. <clears throat> and I had a, a nephew of mine who's now gone on to really good things. He was, for one while, he was head chef in Skibo Castle. He's moved on now to Kings Mills and Inverness. And we used to joke a lot at the in the early days saying, I hope Ian McAndrew never comes up north on a holiday, and if he if he come to the restaurant, he would see he would see all his all the dishes in his book on our menu. <laughs> but we're good friends, and we've had many a laugh over that. And they, but I, my goodness, I can tell you they work. Mm -hmm. Right, well, I'm going out again and, and, and putting it putting it through spaces. Yeah. What do you see the future holds for the Fish Society going forward, Alison? Well, obviously, tuna is one of the 
Yeah, tuna, tuna is one thing. Um, our fish pie. Uh, so in terms of things, you know, big big things this year, um, we've got this fish pie that I mentioned it earlier on. So I'm glad you've given me an opportunity to mention it again. Um, so as you know, fish pie has historically been. It's, I mean, it's often been recognised to be well. This is the fish that that we didn't sell. Uh, let's put it into our fish pie. <laughs> Uh, these days, of course, uh, it'll be perfectly, uh, perfectly decent fish. But it never is expensive fish. Never is exciting fish. Uh, and um, I thought a long time ago, I want to have a really special fish pie. So the Fish Society's fish pie contains halibut. Uh, it contains some very fine uh, North Atlantic prawns. Uh, and uh, some very good smoked haddock from Grimsby. Uh, and the, the, the sauce and the potato and the topping that, that we put around that are all, um, they're all uh, top quality. Um, I should add that um, uh, we, we, have, uh, we have our own production kitchen, uh, which we started in a production kitchen. It was in a container in the car park. A um, couple of years ago, to make these fish pies, and um, we've we, we've got some more products coming out of there now, uh, and um, we decided to upgrade from the container into you know a built-in production kitchen. So we took a part of our factory on the mezzanine floor, uh, and we recently opened a nice big dedicated roomy production kitchen, which I hope uh, very shortly is going to be not big enough, but at the moment it's just perfect. Uh, we made uh, 480 fish pies in there last week, and we've made a lot of other things in there since. Uh, and this fish pie, you can imagine, it is not cheap. Uh, in fact, uh, my target price for this is, are you ready it's going to be £12 for a single serving. So uh, I should say that the, the benchmark is um, Charlie Bigham's fish pie. You're probably familiar with that. Uh, and that's in all the supermarkets at £6 for a single serving pie. Now, our single serving is a bit bigger than his. It's probably about, I don't know, 18 20% bigger, something like that. But it does have these fabulous fish in it. And my target price for our pie is £12. Uh, as that's the retail price for this pie, which we sell it on our website at uh, £12 at the moment. Uh, but I want to get it into, into retail establishments. So at some point in the next couple of months, I'm going to be knocking on the doors of some of our more upmarket uh, farm shops around here in Sussex and Surrey, offering them the opportunity to sell our 12 pound fish pie and um everyone i have spoken to about this so far has said you must be off your head who is going to pay 12 quid for a fish pie to which i say well it is a fantastic fish pie and uh, you can see that when you eat it uh, and uh people are going to give it a go and they're going to say that is a good that is a very good pie i'm coming back for another one so this is our sort of proud to be pricey strategy 
shortly going into farm shops, I hope. Uh, wish me luck, Jim. You know, I well talking to you and listening to you, uh, well, as I said, with the, the passion, it makes me feel hungry. But if you asked me the question, would I pay £12 for a fish pie? The way you described it, I would say yes. Because I I don't see, I don't know, this to me is, uh, is wrong when fish is not a cheap, stack them high and sell them cheap product. It's a quality product. Hmm. And when you look at the, I often think of it when you look at some uh, charts and statistics on the essential minerals that our body needs, you can get them all in fish. Mm. And hundred percent healthy, no doubt, no doubt about that. Yeah, 100%. totally. It's just yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I do feel that slowly we're coming away from the. I hope, would like to think anyway that we don't associate health with enough with the, the food we eat. We see health and keeping ourselves well uh, with either in a tablet or a capsule. Mm. But it's got, it's got to be in the food we eat. And fish ticks every box when it comes to nutrition and, you know, the minerals that we need and everything. So... <clears throat> No, I don't think it's. I mean, well, how do you judge expensive? Precisely, precisely. <laughs> well, our, our, we, we're producing the Mercedes of fish pies. That's, uh, well, that's uh, another great way of putting just it. Just exactly. get that out there to the public, and uh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure enough of them will Let, appreciate. It. Let's keep it British. The Rolls Royce. <laughs> The Rolls Royce fish pie. The Rolls Royce fish pie, that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck with it all. Good luck. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you about your venture, and uh, it's very exciting. Well, it's been uh, quite quite exciting uh, going through all these old musings with you. I don't know if they're going to entertain the people who might turn on the podcast, but... <laughs> it's, been, it's been a very happy chat between you and me, Jim. Very nice to, uh, very nice well, to meet Well, absolutely. Especially, my goodness, the last thing I expected is to be digging up uh, old characters like Rex Kemp. And that, because he was a brilliant character. I really liked the guy. He was, yeah. A brilliant tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> you knew when he wasn't happy, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. But I was getting, I was getting a penny. A, it was old before decimalization. I was getting a penny a stone. That was my commission for buying the fish, the dogfish. But I've seen us putting 12, 10 to twelve lorry loads in a week to him. There's and you're talking three, four hundred boxes on every lorry. So. Colossal. I, I remember seeing them piled up in Grimsby. I don't think you were sending those to him, were you? You were sending those for sale on the market in Grimsby. No, the, the dogfish were going direct to Rex Camp. Were they really? Were they really? Well, maybe there was some aspect of his dogfish career that uh, that I didn't quite latch on to. Um, yeah, I can't I, I can't remember buying lorry loads of fish. 
But um, yes, he was a he, he was certainly he was certainly a character. Still, still, he's still skulking around Grimsby. Um, I, Is he really? I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's in the best of health. But, um, but okay. Gordon Risdon had had bumped into him fairly recently. Oh. But there was that's back. I mean, you go back to the old days of the Grimsby Fish Market. There were so many big characters, all so, different. Wow. It was fantastic. I loved yeah. going to Grimsby. Good. Yeah, I loved going. I loved my time and going back and forth to Grimsby, and I went a lot in every opportunity. So no, no, I've lots of very happy memories of Grimsby. I'm pleased, and and I do, and I do too. I, I spent uh, I spent four very formative years on the um, on the fish docks there, which uh, which which, which uh, well, I won't, I won't I won't go into all that. Jim, you and I, we've both got other things to do, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Alistair. I really enjoyed the conversation and good luck with your future uh, uh, the Fish Society. We'll talk again, Jim. I'm sure it's been very nice to meet you and thank you for this ex uh, opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Seafood Matters Podcast. You can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can join me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast. If you have any questions or episode suggestions, please email me at jim at seafoodmatterspodcast.com or get in touch through my website, seafoodmatterspodcast.com.